I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, Seth. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I don't know. We're out of greetings, so I'm just... Yeah. I was just going with hi, the like, most traditional greeting I could think of. I have a question for you. Good. <laughs> let's, just get, let's just get right to get the Get right question. to the point. No time for this chit-chat nonsense. <laughs> what would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to ride through the desert on a horse with no name or... Ride through the desert on a hot air balloon named Steve. <laughs> um, I think I would go, I would probably go with a hot air balloon named Steve. No, I wouldn't be more in control, but I at least could see things and where I was going <laughs> instead of just like endless dunes or flat nothingness. Also, I f- feel like my. I'm pretty confident in my ability to, this probably would help me in either situation, but to kind of perpetuate conversation with someone who won't respond to me, whether it is a horse with no name or a hot air balloon named Steve. Like, I feel like the companionship would be enough just because of my imagination. I just, I'm feeling an initial connection to Steve that I don't want to ignore. Okay. I respect that connection with Steve. The only thing that scares me about Steve the Hot Air Balloon is, like, you can't really direct it, can mm. you? Like, how do you drive a hot air balloon? Isn't it just pretty much, like, well, you can decide when to go up, and then gravity slowly brings you down? <laughs> in some ways, but if I knew how to fly a hot air balloon, I wouldn't be here. I'd be out flying True. a hot air balloon. <laughs> True. Also, in that song about the horse with no name, I just never could never figure out why they don't just name the horse. Fair. You could name it, Steve. Mm. Then you could at least, like, it would have a name. That's like, kind of disrespectful. Just like feels like a big power grab. Like, I'm not going to name you because I want to maintain authority <laughs> over you. <laughs> it's messed up. Name it, it Steve. Is. Move on. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm with you, though. I think I would take... The hot air balloon? Because it'd be a pretty ride, I think, up there. Do you think that we could make it in a hot air balloon across the desert together? Oh, yeah. I don't think it's hard to drive the hot air balloon. Didn't you just say that you thought it was? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't really think you can use steer. So I think we could get it. I think we could decide when to go up and when to come down. (laughs) I think those are the only things you can decide. Let's transition to our passage and see if it has anything to do with either of these. Let's see if it does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. 
We're struggling. It's okay. It's good to be together. And it's great to open up the Bible. Right? It is. Let's, On our computers. Yeah. To click open the Bible. Let's see let's see if the Bible can redeem this mess of a conversation. <laughs> this is Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11 from the Common English Bible. When Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave two disciples a task, saying to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, You'll find tied up there a colt that no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, its master needs it, and he'll send it back right away. They went and found a colt tied to a gate outside on the street, and they untied it. Some people standing around said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them just what Jesus said, and they left them alone. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes upon it, and he sat on it. Many people spread out their clothes on the road while others spread branches cut from the fields. Those in front of him and those following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. After he looked around at everything, because it was already late in the evening, he returned to Bethany with the twelve. All right. Happy Palm Sunday, Seth. This is a great passage. Thank you. Great story. Why'd you go with the Common English Bible this week? I wanted to kind of bring us home a little bit. I feel like we've used the Common English Bible a lot. And I think it's particularly attuned to what texts sound like out loud. I wanted to make sure that we were hearing this text in kind of all of its glory. And I also thought, last week, you took us in a new direction, which was great with the JPS. I just wanted to to maybe bring us back to somewhere that was familiar, that felt like solid ground. Yeah. So while you were reading, is there anything that, that jumped out at you? Besides, besides like a stolen colt? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was one thing. <laughs> was just like... The explanation that Jesus gives them and the fact that that works. Like, what if the person talking to you is the person whose cult it is? Like, I kind of yeah. I kind of want to imagine what would happen if they weren't able to get the cult. Like, I kind of want, like, a Saturday Night Live sketch <laughs> about Palm Sunday without the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, He's no, got to ride it on the the two no, disciples. Yeah, the, the two, well, you come back and they couldn't find it. And Jesus is like, all right, well, you're the donkey now. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty amusing. It was also pretty amusing to me that this whole ordeal is around Jesus entering Jerusalem, which in Mark in particular, I know is really significant. And then in the last verse, at the end of the day, he just leaves yeah. the city. Look. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> He's like, okay, it's late. Right. <laughs> the nightlife's dying down. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a weird little like tidbit at the end. Yeah. They seem so excited to see him, right? And then he just he just leaves. Right. Yeah, I'm honestly not really sure what to make of that. I guess they had a had a sweet Airbnb that could sleep all thirteen of them out there and 
They couldn't, yeah. af- they couldn't afford to stay <laughs> couldn't in the city. Couldn't afford the one and two. Yeah. <laughs> Go back out to the suburbs. It's fine. <laughs> Anything else? I feel like this is like a relatively well-known passage. Yeah, that's and I think that's what's standing out to me here is, you know, just questions about the specific details. Like, what are what's the significance of the clothes and the branches on the road and, you know, what's just a little bit more about what's going on here. Like, what did people who are participating in this or what did the author of Mark in constructing this, like, want to communicate about Jesus in, in these moments? Yeah. Um, I think that's just the lingering question for me is what, sure. what, what imagery, what imagery is coming to mind? What would people at the time might've thought about this? I don't know. Uh, but you're, you know, it's one that we read at least annually in some form. So Mark's gospel in particular, in, at least in my reading has this kind of subtle underlying anti empire thread Mm. and i just wonder if this story in particular isn't when that comes out the most Mm. like even the people who are in the crowd are like blessing on the coming kingdom of our ancestor david like and i i just wonder how that would sound to people who were jewish who were oppressed by the roman empire like if if this isn't sort of what it would look like when the empire would come to any big city. There'd be right. this big fanfare, right? I just can't help but read this as being like it mocks the empire. It mocks the emperor with like someone who's coming with a kingdom that's not like Rome, right? It's almost like a yeah. par- almost like a parody. Of yeah, the, exactly. Those entry ceremonies. That's right. I'm remembering some things. The, the imagery that comes to mind for me when thinking about these grand entries is what it's like to catch a water balloon. So wait, <laughs> stick, same. wait stick with me. <laughs> okay. So, so the coming dignitary or whoever is the water balloon. And you know how when you're, when you're, when you're doing a water balloon toss, you can't just stick your hand out and like catch it. You have to like kind of cradle it in. You have to make kind of do a motion with it to catch it and safely. And so the people of the city are like the person catching the water balloon. They like go outside the immediate city and like prepare themselves to welcome the coming dignitary or the emperor or whoever it is with that kind of this kind of fanfare to like get the celebration like started ease. for their. Yeah, exactly. Ease the transition. Ease into the city. Yeah. Got to cradle them in like that big old water balloon. I, don't, I thought that was a good metaphor. I don't know. No, that was a good. That was a good metaphor. I didn't see where it was going at first, but it ended in a good direction. I'm just like now. I'm just thinking about all those water balloon tosses where somehow someone ends up with like an indestructible balloon is like throwing them across a football field and like yeah. somehow still catching it. They drop it three times and it doesn't pop. It's, it's like, fine. Yeah. And then you always like. Just like move your hand the wrong way, it just explodes on your face. <laughs> Sorry, the the sun's come out for the first time in a while, and I'm just thinking about all the outdoor activities that I miss, like water balloon tosses. Like water balloon. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, so 
in this case, Jesus is the water balloon. <laughs> Jesus is the water balloon, exactly. Yes. If, if you have one takeaway <laughs> from this episode, that should be it. And Jesus is such kind of, I don't know if this is the right word, a fragile water balloon that he doesn't even have a cult to come in on. Right. That, that might have been mixed. That was mixing metaphors. Maybe, okay, maybe a little bit. But I get what you're saying, though. It's like, <laughs> I'm imagining that the emperor would come in on some, like, in a chariot or, like, some sort of really noble processional or something. And here's just Jesus chilling on a donkey, just probably just prodding around, kind of distracted and, you know, not high up above everyone. Just like people craning their necks yeah. to see what's going on. Yeah, and they had to borrow the donkey. Like, I'm yeah, sure he doesn't borrow horses. Yeah. No, he, he leases that. It's not even his. Okay, well, that's a good way to do it. You get a new one pretty frequently that way. Yeah, and there's only, I mean, Jesus comes in with, what, 12 disciples? And there's there's presumably some other people maybe following him. Like with this with this crowd, but I would imagine when Caesar goes anywhere, right? There's there's, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people who go with him. Yeah, in in front of the chariot, behind the chariot, like his whole entourage. Right. And this isn't like that at all. It's like it parries the whole thing. It's just like this is that's wild. I feel like we're transitioning to like so close to what's the point. Yeah. And I, a couple weeks ago, someone asked me what I thought was the most anti imperial text in the Bible, mm. which I think is, an, which is a really interesting question. Yeah. And I wonder if this is it. Mm. This isn't what I had answered. Like, I wasn't smart enough to think of this on the spot. But man, so I've just, I guess my question is like, in what ways do we see Jesus push back against the empire then? And also Jesus pushing back against the ways that empire works today, Mm. right? Even if we don't have Caesar or Pilate. Right. Well, yeah. And for this, this Palm Sunday kind of starting for us, the Holy Week journey towards Easter too, you know, it's this kind of pushing back against the empire that got Jesus killed. It's that kind of resistance, the kind of movement that he was instigating that made the empire perceive him as a threat and ended up with him on the cross. Everyone likes when Jesus talks about love. Yeah. But that's, that doesn't end you up on the cross, right? And there's gotta be something else. Right. It's got to be more countercultural. At least, like lo- the love applies in ways that are countercultural. Well, I, I'm kind of I'm exploring ideas for how I would respond to that question you were posed with. I'm thinking about the the conversation of give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Yeah. When asked about taxes, the argument I would make is that Jesus is contending that okay. Caesar puts his face on a coin. Great. Like all of this is God's anyway. Kind of like yeah. that, that kind of anti, anti-empire mentality uh, coming through there. And, and also thinking just about 
just about the fact that throughout Jesus's ministry, that the fact that Jesus uses language like kingdom, you know, thinking about a reign and realm that is pervasive, that is powerful in the midst of an oppressed community in one of the most powerful empires the world has ever known. The fact that that language is coming up all the time. The fact that Jesus is given the title and refers to himself as the son of God, which is a title often reserved for that was reserved literally for Caesar and even hijacking the genre of the gospels. Like the gospels were an imperial tool to talk about where the emperors came from, how they were born and the amazing things that they've done to prove that they are the best emperor that ever emperored. And, and, and then (laughs) The G, you know, the Jesus movement, the movement of the way comes along and says, "That's not what a king looks like," and let's talk about Jesus instead and use this format to tell stories that, you know, might not be historically accurate or in the right timeline based on our modern standards today, but perfectly served their purpose of telling a story about who they understood Jesus to be and what about Jesus's character we as readers or as hearers needed to understand. There's so much subversion, even in the format of these gospels that we that we can read today, and I don't know. I'm I'm more so I'm more so stuck on the anti-imperial like mindset, and maybe those are some ways that Jesus speaks against it. What do you think about Jesus speaking against empire and that idea today? Well, we obviously don't have a Caesar, like we do have these these kind of institutions that that exert almost complete control over people's lives and their livelihoods and i also just wonder like if if just like caesar they always make promises that they can't keep mm. and if that if that isn't maybe like one of if not the fundamental difference between like em- empires of this world and what god's reign and realm look like like those promises right are always true yeah yeah well i think you're also you're also assuming that the promises the empire makes are are promises uh that they intend to keep that yeah true that them keeping their promises is due to like some sort of moral or like some sort of inadequacy when Oftentimes, the promises are being made to achieve the ends of those who have power uh, and and to hold people out and hold people back. And that's another distinction I see, too, is that Jesus, Jesus was subverting the social norms of not just the empire, but of his community, too, by eating with certain folks, by speaking to certain folks. And... And even doing things like that now, like, I'm just thinking of parallels today of who is it that we can advocate for or who can we eat dinner with that some might look down upon but offer that affirmation of of shared human experience that a lot of times Jesus seems to get at. He seems to speak to the people who get what it means to be like to be human the most and 
hmm. and and affirms them in that experience. And I wonder if we don't play into some of those same kind of false distinctions and hierarchies today too. It's interesting how satire can or parodies can like expose some of these things, right? Right. Like the way this text like takes takes what happens when Caesar goes into cities and then flips it. It just makes it seem so paradoxical, so extreme. Like that's yeah. not what king it's not what an empire looks like. I think that's why I like all the late night TV shows. They kind of do that, right? Like yeah. Trevor Noah. Mm-hmm. Like it's like it like plays along for a little, just enough that it can like subvert it. Right. What do you think about Jeff Bezos as like a type of Caesar? <laughs> I thought you were just gonna stop it. What do you think about Jeff Bezos? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I know you've shared with me that you've given up. You've given up Amazon for Lent. I've certainly tried in the past year or so to minimize my Amazon shopping and it is astounding to me how difficult that is. Yeah. Agreed. I was just looking at something today. It was talking about we're right around the time of, a, you know, the year anniversary of starting pandemic and Jeff Bezos has made over $70 billion in the past year, increasing his net worth by like 75%. To over like $180 billion. And, you know, he'll counter that like Amazon workers got a raise too. Uh, their minimum wage increased by a dollar per hour. So, uh, definitely an equivalent example. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know. It's like there are certainly some, some dis- disconnects between his role and the role of em- emperor. But in terms of someone who wields unfettered influence like just literally does whatever he wants and no one no one can touch his money no one can touch his company there is certainly a level of influence there that is not not measured and and i don't know i'm I'm not sure maybe i'm not not connecting those last two dots or something but to see such a gross example of benefiting off of like the most tumultuous, devastating year in at least a generation, if not a hundred years, you know, to see someone benefit so much and care so little about those whose backs their wealth has been built on. Yeah, there's some connections being made there. I think it's a little slow for me, though. <laughs> no, that's okay. And you're right, I did. I gave up Amazon for Lent. It's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Like, I just thought, oh, I just don't, I can just buy everything off another, you know, some other mm-hmm. website. Like, or go to the, the actual store right now. But man, it's like, it's so pervasive and it's so easy. And man, and maybe some people don't realize this, but Amazon has like two wings. And the the one wing is like Amazon.com that ships and sells all those goods. But they also own Amazon Web Services, mm-hmm. which is like, which is essentially like the backbone of almost the, almost a third of the internet. Yeah. Whenever you stream something from Netflix, that comes from Amazon's servers. Like there's all these websites 
so I, admittedly i haven't cut all of those out because it's almost impossible the internet yeah. you'd you'd like literally 30 percent of the of the sites they use or more would you wouldn't be able to access like they just have this unfettered control over everything that the internet all the traffic that kind of crosses the internet it's really quite amazing so I was thinking about that as someone who who has like all of this power, mm-hmm. right, and does and does so little for the workers in Bessemer, Alabama, where they're trying to unionize. For me, that was that was the impetus for my Lenten practice. Yeah, in Bessemer, Alabama, Amazon worked with the town to shorten the light cycles outside their fulfillment center. Because pro-union workers were like standing on the corners and they were handing out union pamphlets. So Amazon worked with the town to make the lights shorter so they would have less time to hand those out. And I thought, oh, if that is an empire right, attempting to perpetuate itself, I just don't know what is. Exactly. It's those, those back alley dealings. That feel a lot like crucifying a carpenter's son from Nazareth who happens to be stirring up a lot of trouble. You know? Yeah. Like these things yeah, that are exactly. affirming and celebrating and lifting up those who are cast to the margins, those who, like I said, on whose backs the powerful thrive. That's the work that Jesus did. And it's not just work that goes in the in a good direction. It's work that goes in God's direction. And that's the work that got Jesus killed. The empire panicked. It got defensive because it, it realized that the holes that Jesus was poking in its narrative and the holes that it was poking in its defenses were real. And, and the the walls were falling down and they needed to act quickly and swiftly. That's why, why Amazon's doing these shady things with the town is because they're like, crap, this could work. This could help. This could help people get what they want and like live, live a better life. We need to stop that from happening to ensure our CEO can still pad his pockets. And again, make 70, billion dollars in personal wealth in the past year it's it's that work it's it's to call it kingdom work to call it work of the reign and realm of god those steps in the direction of liberation are the ones we need to try to take and the ones that will put the biggest targets on our back and that's what we see as we see jesus entering jerusalem hailed as king beginning a journey that would not ultimately end, but would end with him on the cross. I'm glad we're talking about this text. Me too. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how even exploring familiar texts like this, based on what we're carrying and what we're experiencing, how it can just unlock something new. It goes, And it also goes to show you that the lens that you carry to the text is very important. And being unbiased yes. is... Uh, I would say it's not possible, and honestly, I'm not very interested in being unbiased because that's rejecting like who we are and who, <laughs> like who how how we're reading everything that we encounter. 
I'd rather be aware of it than pr- try to pretend that I'm not part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Palm Sunday. Yeah, what a radical text. Yeah. It seems, seems so simple on, it, on its surface. He rides in on this little colt, but it's like, maybe, at least for me, one of, if not the most radically subversive texts in the Bible. Agreed. With that, will you pray with me? I'd love that. Lowly God, unlike Caesar, you enter Jerusalem on a lowly horse. Your face appears on wanted posters rather than coins. You sit with the little, lost, last, least, and lifeless, rather than the powerful. And in doing so, you tear down their structures, you expose their lies, and you affirm people's humanity. Help us, too, to follow in your cult's footsteps. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what special episode do we have this week? That's right, Seth. We actually are going to have three episodes being released in the coming week. Because it's Holy Week, we're going to be releasing episodes on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and of course, Easter Sunday. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.